Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast episode nine. I'm Lindsay Doe, a clinical sexologist and host of the YouTube channel Sexplanations. A fact about me before I realized I wanted to be a sex expert, I was determined to be a UPS driver. I loved mail and thought delivering packages to people would be the ultimate joy in work. Oh, Oh my gosh. Even now, thinking about it, it makes me so happy. Little did I know I would get as much pleasure from doing what I do now as a sexologist. And um, maybe Hernando, as our special guest, can vouch for that. Dr. Hernando Chavez, former classmate, sex therapist, professor of human sexuality, sexologist, and friend of mine. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for having me on the show today. Yeah, of course. I I am so honored to have you here. I just love talking to people I care about, and you are one of those people. Uh, so sweet. <laughs> so what do you think about our job? I love our job. Um, you know, when we were young, people always told us, whether it was teachers or parents, they say, do what you love. You know, find your passion and, and do what you, you care about. And I, I believe that you and I found it. I think that, the, that we're both, we've got such a, a, a desire to want to learn and, and help and be a part of people's sort of sexuality worlds and and enhance them. Um, Uh, I I think we found our passion. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I I don't understand why it's not everyone's passion. I think we have a lot of blocks, you know? I mean, we've (laughs) sort of, I think, shed some of our inhibitions and our stigmas and our discomforts, and and here we are, like, allowing our authentic passions to come out. So I want to help other people who are interested in getting there, and I'm hoping that you can help me kind of put together – the pathway or the map for how to become a sexologist. But before we do that, a shout out to our supporters at patreon.com slash explanations podcast. They fund this program for us so that we can have cool conversations and share them with the world. And specifically, um, I want to give a shout out to people at the boss level, Donna Flint, Maddie O'Sullivan, Laura Schuster, Paul Nixon, and the Millers. All of the sexplanauts out there, you're such a big part of making this so great. Uh, one way that we honor them is through a one-question multiple-choice test. Testies, testies, explanations, testies. So here's the question in your honor. Who is Hernando's favorite sexologist? So he, I just picked some multiple-choice options, but then the actual answer is in here. From me knowing who Hernando admires most, we have A... Magnus Hirschfeld, B, Alfred Kinsey, C, Cher Height, and D, Havelock Ellis. <laughs> you want to answer the question for them? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess my own. <laughs> I know my own. Um, actually, for, for those of you who are wondering, it's B, Alfred Kinsey. What makes you love Alfred so much? You know, he was uh, one of the first starting out sexologists and the first uh, in the United States to do sex research. And it was so valuable, the the two volumes that he put out, uh, Human Sexual Behavior of the Male and the Female. Um, It was revolutionary. It was in a time when it was very conservative, um, you know, the the United States at the time. And he just broke through a lot of barriers. And, and, you know, I guess my second would have been Masters and Johnson's, but uh, they came afterwards. So I decided to go with, with, uh, you know, sort of the person before them. That's so fascinating. I would have never guessed that it was your favorite. Not that there isn't reason to, you know, hold him above the rest. I do think that he oh, he was a pioneer. He he 
was studying gull wasps and then realized that there was a need for people to have this information and really took it there. But I, I am surprised. You know what I think also helped too was the I love Liam Neeson. And so the movie was also like, <laughs> I showed clips of it in class and it's just, you know, there's a lot of reinforcement too. <laughs> oh my gosh. So unfair. My, my favorite, I put on the list as well, Havelock Ellis. And I don't think there's ever been a movie made about him, but now I know that one of the tricks to getting people to like him is to get a hunky guy to play him in a movie. I mean, you get Brad Pitt to play Havelock Ellis, I think you're going to have a blockbuster. Sold. (laughs) I'll get right on that. Okay, so let's get back to how someone becomes a sexologist. You and I have similar paths, but they're different. And so I'm thinking we can kind of take someone from that age, we can take someone from the adolescent age when they're thinking about future career seriously and getting them to the point we're both at where we are professional sexologists who get paid for the work we love. You want to give your your path, your map? Uh, For myself personally? Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, I'll take it. So my map went through education first. Uh, So I started off with going to school and not really knowing what I wanted to do and discovered that uh, psychology seemed to call to me. Although I wasn't still that passionate about it, um, I started taking the classes and and it was interesting and I had to get a degree so I I chose psychology. Um, And then afterwards I had this, this, you know, bachelor's but I didn't know what to do with it. And I had to ask myself, did I want to go into uh, education? Did I want to go into therapy? Did I want to go something totally different that had nothing to do with psychology? Um, and then I found that for me, you know, there was sort of a fork in the road where if I kind of had this inclining to teach, but I had this inclining to be a therapist, the way that I could do both was to go the therapy route because those with the master's in therapy can also teach as well at, uh, in like community college and, and university systems. And you could also continue on with PhD studies. Uh, if you choose to go research, um, you can teach, but you can't do therapy. So there are some limitations um, that we have depending on the paths we choose. For me, I felt that uh, therapy and education was my, my road. Um, I, I went to get a master's, and then you and I met in our doctorate program um, mm-hmm. for human sexuality. So I'm a big believer that uh, education is the way to go because it seems to open up doors for with, whether it's degrees or certifications, with networking, with um, you know the ability for us to, to uh, work in community clinics or private practices or get teaching positions. Um, so I'm a big fan of the education route as, as a starting point. That's so beautiful. I don't, it feels profound too. I don't think it should be profound that the the idea of education opening doors for people, but just hearing it put in the context of our career is really helpful to me to realize, oh yeah, maybe the reason why I got here is because I cared about learning and that facilitated me learning that sexology was even an option. Okay, so it sounds like our paths are actually more similar than I realized. I did know that I wanted to be a sexologist before I I went to college, but I also chose to study psychology because not that it called to me, but it was a way of engaging that part of my brain and uh, kind of fulfilling a degree requirement so that I could then go on and specialize in studying sex. And when I finished my bachelor's, I thought that I was going to go into a master's in human sexuality, but there weren't a lot of programs at the time. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but the political climate was such that even the marriage and family therapy programs were kind of tucking their human sexuality programs underground. So 
that they weren't getting taken from them. And so I did a ton of research to to figure out how I was going to get through this. And I found this article online that suggested getting a mainstream master's degree, something that was more general and broad than sex, and then doing sexology for a doctorate. And so that's kind of how I chose my path. Uh, and I, I went through health. You went through marriage and family therapy, right? right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. what's really valuable of what you were saying is that uh, I find it helpful to go from more general degrees into more specific into sexuality because you have a lot broader possibilities with something more like, like public health or psychology or marriage and family therapy. I feel like those um, more sort of applicable degrees across the board can help um, open doors and then you can get more narrowed uh, education or, or certification or training to then sort of specialize in your sexuality and be that sexologist who has, you know, that, uh, that uh, master's or bachelor's in something more of a, of a general uh, education degree. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the that idea of getting a broad degree and then specializing. And I, in my head, I'm thinking about a bunch of our colleagues and the sexologists before us who come from really different backgrounds, actually, than sex at all. You and I studied psychology, and that often relates. But I'm thinking of someone like Dr. Ruth Westheimer, who was a sniper, or a colleague of ours who did our doctoral program, who was a businessman. Can can you think of others? You know a lot of sexologists, so I would love to hear your collection of their backgrounds. Sure. You know, I've seen people do it in different ways where maybe they start off directly going into sexuality and then they realize maybe it'd be helpful to get maybe that business degree or that uh, education degree or that therapy degree or that research degree. So I've seen people go specific into the general when it comes to their uh, additional education. And then I've seen people do maybe what we did, which is more of the general sort of degrees and then go into the specific sexuality training. Um, But one area that I think is, is maybe lacking with a lot of sexuality, psychology, therapy, uh, education, is this idea of how to market ourselves, how to create a business sort of sense or profile or understanding. Um, If I had to do it all over again, I think I would want to maybe have gotten an MBA or some type of business background to help with the, uh, the ins and outs of, you know, establishing yourself and building your own business. Oh my gosh, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, I don't understand how to do taxes or to to charge people for these services when you're working with them one-on-one and advertising and all of that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I'm on year 12 right now of telling myself I'm going to build a website. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You had a website when we started on off really early. Remember the little um, it was just like a, Adam it, and it was Eve like a, characters? It was a one-page, like, here's a bio and um, here's a phone number. And now it's a uh, Psychology Today profile. So I've... I've you know, one day I'm going to, you know, have a few extra pages. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But Hernando, we need to hold each other accountable for these things. I have a lot of people that are sort of holding my feet to the fire. I don't know what it is. Just, uh, you know, but that's that's one of the areas that if we all are honest with ourselves, I think we can see where we may have some voids or some challenges or difficulties with, you know, being that better sexologist or being someone more successful in our field of expertise. So you would add an MBA or at least some business classes. Yeah, that's what I would do. Anything else you would recommend to other people? Um, I find that it's really important for us to continue to have that curiosity and desire to want to acquire knowledge. And that means (laughs) reading books constantly. That means magazines, articles online, blogs, uh, attending conferences, workshops and trainings. And, And I know that that can get pricey. I know that that can sort of add up. 
but um, I find that you know some of my my colleagues and some of the the, the sexologists I admire, they they do a lot of reading. They do a lot of um, you know knowledge acquisition. Uh, for example, Chris Donahue, he's a, a friend and, and a, a sex therapist here in in Los Angeles, and he's a, a, also a co-host of Loveline. He reads constantly, and, and I really admire that and love that about him because he'll go through you know two, three, four, five books a month, um, which is a pace that I'm aspiring to but cannot keep up with that's <laughs> a lot um but that's so valuable because of of the the way we can sort of spread our knowledge around whether it's through social justice learning whether it's through sexology whether it's through medicine whether it's through psychology um you know social issues you know current contemporary uh, uh struggles i think we have to really be thirsty and and never let that thir- that thirst be quenched oh yeah stay curious everyone so one of the things that you're saying is for them to get involved and you are paying attention to the fact that that's costly for them, which I'm just like, oh, do it anyway. And I don't even think about how much it costs to register for a conference or for them to even give up work time in order to offer volunteer time. It reminded me of how uh, we would go to conferences together. And for some of those, you were actually responsible for coordinating the student attendees and how much you would give them. So it was, you know, they would pay maybe $50 to get into the conference, but then you would load them up with experiences, take them out on the town, take them to to drag shows and sex clubs and send them home with bags of sex toys. And you really made it valuable to them on multiple levels to make that $50 investment. Thank Do you. you remember that? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and, that, and that, I think kind of segues into another area that can be really important for building your sexology career, which is getting involved with um, event coordination, event planning, and volunteer work. Uh, There are a lot of organizations, conferences, events that could really use extra pairs of hands, uh, extra tech help, extra on-site help, and that support can really help sort of um, maybe create a name for yourself. It opens Mm -hmm. the door to networking and making contacts and, and sort of gaining a credibility and a, a identity of being someone who's invested and involved. Um, and then I find, too, that you start to climb the ladder of different um, organizations. For example, what you were talking about was an a, a organization called Quad S. So it's SSSS, um, the Society for the, Sex, the Study of Sex... <laughs> wait. <It's> a, <laughs> the Society for Scientific <laughs> Study of Sexuality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I started off as a volunteer and uh, worked my way towards, you know, helping out with conferences, being on site, then joining their uh, councils and then joining committees and all of a sudden working my way up to, you know, being a president of a, of a region um, but, and even being a chairperson of a conference or a few conferences. And I think that that really helps with uh, opening the door for possibilities. You know, people get to know you. I still have people who remember and recognize me from those volunteer days. And it created, a, to me, a, a very valuable um, sense of like a foundation that other people you know, witness that this person's really involved in this field and, and they, they care. So I, I would encourage the networking and the volunteer piece to, to really be something that people focus on. Well, that's, a, that's definitely a strength for you. I would say I don't know any sexologists who are as well connected as you are, and not just among sexologists, but you're also connected to adult performers, you're connected to television producers, you're connected to faculty members, right? You're all over the place in terms of really having a strong sense of who can help with what problems and get the entire discipline of sexology to a a higher level. 
I try, and thank you for, for saying that. <laughs> you do, um, you do a great job. If you, if you go back to that, uh, the opening um, paragraph of Kinsey's male volume, um, he talked about how many disciplines sexology is a part of, and he, he lists maybe 40 to 50 different disciplines, yeah. every, from religion to anthropology to, to medicine, I mean, psychology. And, and uh, what I think is uh, important for us to note is that in all these different areas, whether it's media or the adult industry, or even in education at your, your universities and, and colleges, um, there is going to be some connection between sexuality. Uh, I recall having conversations with a professor who was teaching anthropology, and when we talked about sexuality, they, they really wanted to create a sexual anthropology class, and all of a sudden we started mm. having these dialogues about how the, these confuse these different sort of disciplines. Um, and I think that's important with our networking is to not just limit ourselves to only sexuality people. There's, there's so many folks out there that have... Uh, a desire to want to collaborate and, and connect. So I, I want to go back to some of the volunteer work that you've really loved. But first, on that note, one of the big arguments that I make for having a broad education before specializing in sexuality is that it just makes you a more well-rounded person, right? If you're studying mathematics and language and anthropology and social behavior, you can approach sexuality from with all those different lenses. And it's it makes you more human when you're working with humans. So I just encourage people to really, when they're going to school, seek the classes that are most interesting to them, because that's going to keep them curious. It's going to reinforce it. And then through that, write your papers with a sexuality piece to them. You know, if you're studying Native American studies, what were this tribe's sexual behaviors? Right. And there's so a you, wealth of knowledge in those areas, too. You know, uh, oh, my gosh. The different uh, indigenous, you know, tribes have multi-genders. They have two-spirit individuals. I mean, they have so mm -hmm. much sexuality that isn't really discussed in the classes. So if you did your own research, I think that's a great advice to, to create sort of your curriculums within your curriculums. Right? Oh, Yeah. Everybody, just study your own thing, be it journalism or physics or whatever it is, and, and then get bring those rich, rich theories and practices into sexology, and we'll all be better. Okay, so now I want to know what volunteer work you did that was really meaningful to you or something memorable, in addition to Quad S, of course. You know, something that people will contact you and say and ask questions about, how can I get involved and how can I make a name for myself? And something that's a little bit outside the box, but I found it to be incredibly valuable and it's opened up uh, amazing doors in my life, was I met a few people in Los Angeles. Um, one person's name was Marilyn Lawrence uh, and one person's name was Catherine Dukes. They were both sexologists. Yeah. And they were meeting for lunch and they kind of created this um, monthly lunch event where, you know, five, six, seven people would meet and, and just, you know, talk and chat and share uh, discussion and resources and current events about sexuality. And so we, um, once Catherine moved, she moved to the East Coast, she asked me to take over that group. And it was very small. And we just decided to add people's names to the list and invite other people. And all of a sudden, these luncheons were taking off where there was 15, 20 people. Then we decided mm. to have speakers. And we would rotate between networking events and small speaking events and um, so I encourage people, that's a wonderful way in your area to volunteer and create some type of hub of sexuality to where you're the person in, uh, uh, creating it, you're the person who's in charge of the emails and, and announcements, you may be in charge of, of uh, bringing in speakers, but I think that also is a great volunteer way, uh, uh, method to 
not only create community, but I think also it gives you that name and that identity of being someone invested and dependable in, in sexology. So create a luncheon, create some type of event uh, in your city, in your town, in your neck of the woods. I think that could be so valuable with bringing people together and it's great for networking, it's great for referrals, it's great for sharing resources and knowledge. Um, it's really win-win. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with you. And again, it goes back to your amazing ability to network. It's so, it's so important, right? Because sexologists especially, I think, can feel so isolated. I'm in Montana and I am the only one here. And I do feel isolated sometimes. And it's so great to me that I can get on to Skype or go to a conference and see you and really juice up on the feeling of camaraderie and we're doing this together and and how can you fill in the gaps where I'm not able to do something and how can I fill in your gaps? Ha ha ha. You keep saying that I'm good at networking, but you have this online presence where you're able to use YouTube and your videos to to network in a way that, I mean, it, I may do it in person with a small number of people, but you do it with tens of thousands of people you're networking. So it's it's very broad. I mean, it really reaches yeah, people yeah. internationally. Networking. Mm-hmm. It's good. Uh, I would add that there are smaller ways to volunteer, too, that if you're not extroverted, you can do. Um, one of the things that I did was to get trained as an HIV testing counselor, so learning how to perform the rapid HIV test and then also provide the 20 minutes of talk and education and, you know, condom demonstration work that happens while you're waiting for the results to come back. I would volunteer as a, a sex educator, you know, for different groups going in and, and teaching teens who wanted to be sex educators themselves or working with young parents. Handing out condoms is another great thing that people can do. And all of those kind of show the world that you are a sex positive person and that's maybe the first step in all of it is just just to say i'm i'm ready give me more not i'm terrified stop talking about sex with me i agree yeah that's great advice as you were saying giving out condoms uh, i think that it sort of gets into a place that's also very valuable which is uh, doing advocacy work and also creating a space for to help you know people in our different sexuality communities um, for example you brought up earlier about uh, my affiliation with the adult industry and and uh, that came about with doing work um, and, and volunteer efforts for sex workers, especially in the porn industry. And people can do that in their communities, in their areas. They can find their own gay and lesbian centers. They can find their own uh, sex worker outreach programs. You know, um, There are so many different community clinics that might do sexual health or sex education that we can begin to integrate ourselves into these communities. And then um, the advocacy piece, especially in today's climate, is so valuable, creates connections, creates opportunities. Um, it's really about opening doors, and, and I think that the more we do open some doors, we're going to find that wonderful things can can uh, you know be created in our world. So I'm thinking from the perspective of listeners, though, who maybe aren't as go-getter as us, well, are they going to reject me? You know, if I go to the community center and I ask to be a volunteer or an advocate for their groups, are they going to reject me? Are there certain credentials that I need to have? Don't I have to be a sexologist before I can volunteer doing sexological work? You know, I think that's a great question. And, and, and we do have to face some of our fears of whether it's rejection or um, the slow pacing of sort of creating our, our identity and our careers. Um, but even if we're not able to go into a place like a gay and lesbian center and be in charge of their program direction, 
uh, or an event, um, they're always looking for people that can help with uh, you know, event setup, even folding chairs, even handing out flyers. Um, if you have tech skills and you're maybe more introverted, um, helping with you know things from your home that, that might be via uh, whether it's phone calls or cold calling or you know uh, tech savvy things through the web. Um, there's always a space for us if we you know ask and if we sort of show that that uh, desire to want to help and support. Um, I wouldn't. I would do our best to not let ourselves get discouraged because yeah, there will be some no's and there will be some doors that close. But um, that's kind of the the idea of resilience and perseverance is that we have to find ways within ourselves to persevere through those, you know, to get past those obstacles. Yeah, I agree, and I hope people are hearing that because. Uh, there are a lot of people from my audience who will write to me and ask to do internships with me or have some sort of mentorship. And I have to say no, because I can't offer that at this time. But that's not a hard no end of discussion. That's a no. Here are some organizations that really need your help and can organize you and and give you the training that you need to do the work that you want to do. And so I hope that people are hearing that, yeah, rejection is part of it. And that's so that you can find the best match for you. You know, there it, it's true what you're saying, that there's not a lot of invitations to, to help communities. I mean, <laughs> it, it, we have to sort of um, be present and at the door. And sometimes we're knocking and knocking and knocking and the door's not opening. And then eventually there may be somebody who answers. And there, you know... In communities, there's still a lot of, I think, um, discretion with people who want to be, you know, outsiders coming in to support. And so I think we have to acknowledge that not all communities are going to be that inviting because of fears of stigma, discrimination, violence, um, you know, that question of not knowing the person or, or having to need some time to vet them to see if they really are truly allies or advocates or if they are not. So um, we have to be mm-hmm. patient and also uh, acknowledge that other people are also in the same space of know needing some time Mm. okay yeah give those organizations time what about us as sexologists this is a, a question that's come up from the audience how does your daily life look so aside from getting to be a sexologist and you know the volunteer work and the education and the networking what does it look like when you become one i would imagine that people have a uh a misconception of what it's like to be a sexologist, that it's all sex parties and confetti and parades and it's all pleasure and, and orgasms and glamour. And, and It's not it, like that for you, it, Hernando? You know, occasionally, very, you know, seldomly. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's a lot of work. It's just like any other job where you're going to invest time and effort and, and resources and, and mental energy and emotions. And um, so, so it's... I think we have to realize that it's both a profession and both, you know, there's going to be some work to it, but then there's also going to be a lot of joy and excitement and enthusiasm. Um, and, and you're going to see a lot of wonderful be- uh, benefits that we reap with all those efforts that you put forth. But from day to day, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot, like, for example, as a sex therapist, a lot of the cases are very serious. You know, you don't have too many laughs. Uh, a lot of people are having, you know, struggles or, and you're really sort of processing and thinking and asking questions and trying to sort of get into deeper layers of people's psyche and emotions. Um, and, and it's valuable and it's, ple- it's, it's wonderful work. Um, and then there are times when you might have a party or uh, something to celebrate like the ABN Awards or you, know, you can go and attend um, uh, education or seminars and that might be a little bit more sort of 
uh, focused on your sort of acquisition of knowledge and your stimulation. So I think it varies. You know, I think we just have to, to, to realize that it's also a job and work and we're also putting forth effort. Yeah. Uh, I, and I can speak to my day-to-day life. I would say no day looks the same as the as any other. You know, sometimes it means doing a ton of research. I'm reading articles online or textbooks. Sometimes I am writing. I've been doing a lot of writing lately. Uh, seeing clients, like you said, I <laughs> I think I try to laugh a lot more because I'm not going at it from a therapeutic position. I'm coming at it more as a sex educator, and so I, I want to keep that light, but in all facets of what we're doing, the ultimate goal, I think, t- is to increase sexual health for the planet. And uh, people out there, you can do that in all sorts of ways. <laughs> having having sex with others that is protected and consensual is a way to do that. Masturbating is, is a way to do that if you're doing it for reasons that are important to you and becoming a more joyous, free individual that makes your community happier. That's great. And and you're bringing up something really valuable too, which is along this path, we've got to take care of ourselves. And self-care is essential to our um, ability to keep the gas tank full or half full (laughs) so we can keep moving forward. Um, So we can, you know, handle rejection or or persevere or have resiliency. and, And you know, the idea of, of enjoying the ride and the journey and incorporating pleasure and experiential uh, learnings. Like when you and I went to school, I think it was so valuable that we'd have a full day of class and then at night we'd all decide to go together to, you know, uh, a sex club or a dungeon or a, a gay bar or, you know, explore sexuality in some form. Um, and we did that together in a very sort of fun, light, curious, experiential way. Uh, but that was our self-care, I, I felt, during our school years. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So amazing. I went to my first sex club with you. Do you remember that? Which one? (laughs) (laughs) It was it was the four story one. We went with the power exchange, the power exchange. And you cut your finger on some of the equipment, I think. Yeah, I think I broke some of the equipment. (laughs) You broke some of the equipment. And I pole danced. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Yeah, 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 such good memories. And those are two new experiences that both of us had. I've never broken sex dungeon equipment, and you've never pole danced <laughs> in front of people, I think. So we're, we're breaking new ground. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So wonderful. Okay, so now I want to do this just simple thing. There are three terms that are, you know, new sex slang out there. And I want to see if you and the audience know what they are. Um, Before looking them up, I would not have been able to tell you their definitions. So nobody feel embarrassed if you don't know what these things are. But three new terms for all of our brains as sexologists. We have postboned. Do you know that one? I'm not going to guess. I don't know it. No, I I, I, I could guess, guess though, but is it like, uh, I don't know, is it like the glow that you have after you get laid? Postboned. P O S T B O N E D. Yeah, so like, okay, so I'm wrong. Oh, you're, 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 you're saying like a glow? Like I just got laid and it's the aftermath, the afterglow. Oh, postponed, like, oh, I like that I definition. I'm, but I'm wrong, though. <laughs> you are, but your definition, I think it's like a much prettier thing. Um, well, that's the truth. This is pretty cool. So it's when you're running late for an engagement because you had unexpected sex first. Oh, I love that. Okay. 
Yeah, right? Yeah, so, you know, like if I, I wasn't here right on time for the podcast, maybe it was because I I was, you know, getting some sexy times. Oh, that's such a European, like, answer. Like, in this country, you'd be, you know, uh, they'd shame you or they'd, like, fire you. In, in Europe, <laughs> they'd, be, they'd want details. <laughs> right? Okay, the next one is feeling mancy. It's a mancy. M-A-N-S-T-Y. Don't know. It's an anxious need to have sex. So just like a, a synonym for horny, I would say. And then the third one is doppelbanger. It's another guess, but is it having sex with somebody who looks a lot like somebody you know? Uh, having sex with somebody who looks like someone you want to have sex with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, good one. Okay. I was thinking because you know what I've encountered a lot of people telling me is that they, they start dating or becoming sexual with somebody who looks like a family member or and, and it kind of trips them out where they're like, that looks way too much like, uh, you know, a distant cousin or, you know. Oh, so yeah. I thought that's what that was. I mean, I'm sure you could use it in that way, but I don't know that that eases the discomfort, at least that I would feel with having sex with someone who looked like a relative. It's funny because... That, uh, that taboo runs deep. It does run deep, and it's really popular amongst people seeking out different you know, genres of porn. Um, you know, the idea of uh, incest or, or mm-hmm. you know, mother-daughter, father-daughter, you know, uh, father, um, daughter, mother-son, and so on. But uh, my sister, she looks a lot like Kourtney Kardashian, so whenever when someone says, who's your favorite Kardashian, I always have to go someone else besides Kourtney because it's too, <laughs> too close to home. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know way more about pop culture than I do, too. So, like, I wouldn't even be able to tell you other Kardashians other uh, than Kim. So, Kim? you know. I, I'm a loyalist. It's a good Kim. thing I don't have some siblings that look like the Kardashians. <laughs> well, you know, I noticed, too, that with my younger students, with my my clients, that pop culture is such a, uh embedded part of their sexuality that's where they they get messages about body images messages about sexuality um there's there's you know i I have to keep up with it just so i can keep up with them especially (laughs) with the students is there another word that i should know that you've learned from your students um you think of other terms wow they teach me things all the time i mean their papers are almost like them teaching me about sexuality about relationships about i mean yeah they they just have a lot of you know what's really changing in younger communities um in, in is the their idea of what is of, of orientation? I mean, there's a lot of fluidity that they don't even label, or they mm-hmm. sort of are casually kind of experimenting and questioning with. Whereas for us, it was very much more sort of defined, like you're this mm-hmm. or you're that, you're straight or you're mm-hmm. gay or maybe you're bi. But they've got a lot of fluidity and a lot of terms of fluidity and a lot of terms of casual hookups too. You know, there's like a, a spectrum of. Um, the hookup to like the marriage slash you know long term relationship and there's a dozen terms in between that they identify and there's like a small nuance between each term. Ooh. Okay. Well, next time you you get the information from them, write it down and share it with me, or write a book. <laughs> okay. Last thing that we need to do. It's called a main squeeze. Feel your kegels if you're able. Main squeeze. It's a group kegel session where we are going to use our pubococcygeus muscles to strengthen our pelvic flooring, just have better orgasms, better sex. It's all going to be better. So the way we do it is from a sponsorship with Adam and Eve. We're going to clench when I say Adam, and we're going to release when I say Eve. 
and then I'm going to read this um, this little message from our sponsor, Adam and Eve. Okay, so are you ready? Ready. You can participate or not participate. This is, you know, open open exercise here. AdamandEve.com is an adult superstore that sells hundreds of toys for sexual adventures. Adam and Eve sells videos, games, costumes, vibrators, strokers, and sex cushions. Adam and Eve sells condoms and lube and wraps it all up discreetly. Adam and Eve is online so you can shop any time of day. Adam and Eve is at adamandeve.com. Adam and Eve is giving 50% off uh, one eligible item and free shipping in the U.S. or Canada when you use promotion code SEXPOD at checkout. Thanks, Adam and Eve. Love Adam and Eve. Right? Yeah. They're great. You know, they were one of the first to start up with the, the sex education videos that with the, the Sinclair Institute that was owned by Adam and Eve. So they were mm-hmm. pushing forth uh, sex ed, you know, in the, in the early 80s up, up until today. So amazing. Yeah, I, I talked to the person I work with there. His name is Lee, and he has been really helpful at walking me through the history of Adam and Eve and really understanding it as a wholesome sexual health company and, and not just a, a money-making machine that's, you know, putting out toys, but that they, yeah, they're really grounded in the values of education and HIV awareness and protection. Yeah, Very cool. Their founder, Phil, um, he, uh, he, he started off by selling condoms out of his car, I think, contraception, <laughs> out of his trunk. <laughs> go, Phil, go. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Okay, so anything else you want to share with my viewers, listeners, audience? You know, um, create community. Find other people that are in similar positions of you that, that want to uh, uh, discover their, their sexology selves. Um, I encourage you all, if, if you're more introverted, to do what you can do that, that still promotes yourself, whether it's writing blogs or reaching out and having some writing samples to different uh, websites. And, you know, just because we're introverts, extroverts, we're in small towns or large cities, you know, we can still find ways to um, create community online, in person, and we can move forward and we can sort of build our name and, and our passions. So, yeah. yeah. Every single one of you can be a sexologist like me and Hernando. Just try. <laughs> Do you, so we um, can give them homework, too. Assignments are not always bad, so here's some extra credit. If you want to be really specific about the, the nature of your encouragement, every week while they're not listening, they get to do some sort of activity or writing assignment that gets them thinking off, you know, outside of the podcast. You know, for, for me, I would encourage each person listening to read two books a month. One book. That's two months? So, what? So, one book that you're so passionate about or so interested about. Maybe it's kink or non-monogamy. And then a second book that uh, about sexuality that maybe you don't have a lot of knowledge about. And maybe there's some, you know, uh, hesitation or skepticism or, or maybe you're, you're not as interested. But that way you can read one book that is increasing your knowledge and enhancing your sort of your, your broad uh, spectrum of, of knowledge. And the other book is really feeding that passion. And I encourage you to do one of each each month. <laughs> that is very intense. That, <laughs> is that's that, like, is that too intense? You, no, I mean, they're, they're just going to be sex experts within a year. That's great. 24 books in a year. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. 
So what would you have them start with? Let's let's choose that. Their assignment could be to order these books online or go to their local bookstore. Um, two, the first two books that you would have them start with. I'd say go with your passion. But if you're into, let's say, exploring non-monogamy and open relationships, I'd, I'd encourage you to read Opening Up or More Than Two. Um, if you're into, uh, let's say, kink, I would encourage you to read maybe SM101 or The Ultimate Guide to Kink. Um, if you're in, interested in... Uh, let's say sex therapy. I'd encourage you to read uh, Mating in Captivity, or or maybe if you're into interested in let's say tantric experiences, maybe uh, the multi orgasmic couple or multi orgasmic male or female. There's just a lot of different sort of places you can go to that sort of feed your interest. So find what you want and you're passionate about, and, and um, Amazon and, and different sort of bookstores will have you know what you're looking for. Okay, now you all have your sex to credit. Thank you, Dr. Hernando Chavez, for being on my podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time, and it's so good to talk with you. Yeah, you too. Oh, it's so wonderful, and I hope we get to do it again soon. I appreciate you for so many reasons. Um, Hernando, if you all don't know, has been on Sexplanations before. He is really good about helping me peer review stuff to make sure that I don't do damage when I put out episodes and... um, He's just been a really good friend in guiding me through my own sexuality. So uh, I'm very, very honored that you've been here today. And uh, I also want to make sure to give a shout out to the production team that helps out with the channel, Cinema Studios, Count Boogie, and Complexly. A shout out to our Sexplanaut helpers at Sexplanations Podcast on Patreon.com and the support from Adam and Eve, as I say each week, and Cora and Paro. I'm still learning.